0: especially in terms of thinking about attachment, the core beliefs you want to think about are your beliefs around intimacy and independence. So someone who's securely attached is comfortable with both intimacy and independence. Someone anxiously attached, not comfortable with independence, very under, overly comfortable with intimacy. And someone who's avoidant, very comfortable with independence, not as comfortable with intimacy. So getting to that kind of middle ground then has to, you have to kind of rewrite that narrative around those beliefs.
1: Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. The podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 58. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com hey you welcome back to another episode of the faith and mental wellness podcast so glad you decided to spend your time here with us today now today we're shifting the conversation to relationships one of my favorite topics because let's be honest relational health is a large proponent of our overall well-being and is certainly rooted in our mental well-being and today we're specifically talking about attachment styles maybe you've heard of them Uh, Attachment theory is based around the patterns of how secure we tend to feel in our relationships, you know, how we tend to orient ourselves toward others in our relationships. And it's believed that these traits are developed based on the type of care we received or didn't receive from our earliest caregivers, typically our parents, during childhood, which is a sensitive period, you know, how much of a secure base we had to launch from in approaching the world and our relationships going forward. So there are four main observed attachment styles, and those are the secure attachment, anxious attachment, avoidant, dismissive attachment, and fearful avoidant. And we're breaking down each of these. We're talking about how these attachment styles might affect our relationships and how we show up in life. And we're even diving a bit into online dating, but consider reflecting on which of these attachment styles you feel you tend to lean toward. There are all kinds of attachment style tests and assessments online if you're curious, and we left one of many at the link in the show notes so you can check that out. And to join us to expound on today's topic is our guest and someone I consider a friend, and that's Dr. Christy Kadarian. Dr. Christy Kadarian is a nationally renowned psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in the psychology of relationships with an extensive career as a professional matchmaker and relationship expert for, get this, eHarmony and Match.com. She has helped hundreds of people find love and improve their relationships and is a triple Trojan receiving her bachelor's, master's and doctoral degree at the University of Southern California, USC in psychology, and marriage and family therapy. She's also a radio host of the Lyrical Therapy Hour at KXCS and has been a featured expert in The Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, Cosmopolitan, NBC News, and many more. Guys, this was such a fun and insightful conversation that I think you'll enjoy. So without further ado, let's dive in. You guys, I'm super excited for today's episode. I have a dear friend of mine, Dr. Christie, and we're talking all about attachment styles. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while on the podcast, and I couldn't
0: think of a better person to have
1: this conversation with. So thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. I'm so excited for this conversation too. Me
1: too. I know we connected on Instagram and everything that you're doing is phenomenal. Be sure to check her out. We have her links in the show notes. But for those who aren't familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you into like the relationship field and relationship coaching, e you did e harmony stuff, I believe. Um, you're pretty yes, epic. Exactly.
0: So, <laughs> oh, thank you. The feelings mutual. So, yeah, my name's um, Dr. Christy Kaderian. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have my doctorate in organizational leadership. Um, I'm a native to Southern California. I got all of my degrees at USC, so I'm a triple Trojan. Um, and I really like growing up. I was always the type of person that you know people come to for advice. I loved people. I was a people person, and um, being from my cultural background, I'm an Armenian family was always so important. And I see that thread in my life about how my family system really influenced who I became and who I am as a person. So that um, really fascinated me. I took a course on marriage and family therapy in my undergrad and started doing research at the Family Studies Project at USC around specifically pursuer distancer patterns in relationships and how that affects um, that closeness and what we're going to talk about today, which is attachment. And then through that, i just fell in love and was fascinated with dating and relationships both in you know having um experiences myself and kind of being my own little guinea pig on a lot of this research that I was learning. Um, I worked at eHarmony as a professional matchmaker and dating coach, and then um, continue my matchmaking journey. So I've affiliated with other dating sites, uh, Match.com, OkCupid, Christian Mingle, all of them. And my passion now and what I do is um, as a dating coach is really connect the worlds of research, of therapy with the strategy and knowing what I know behind the scenes of, you know, Know how a dating app works and um, how to navigate the dating um, scene just with all my experience and people I've worked with. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of my story and what led me to where I am today and doing what I feel like God really brought all of those pieces together. In my life personally, I share my own journey and being on dating apps for five years and meeting my husband on a dating app. And so I feel really passionate about helping people feel empowered with the education in order to um, you know, be strategic and um, have that plan when they're dating and in relationships as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's like so many things I want to talk about
1: with you right now. There's so many things in your story and everything that you said. <laughs> um, and and you are very like approachable and easy to talk to and you have a very uh, sweet spirit. So I can totally see you being that friend. I've always gotten that from you. You're a triple Trojan. I'm a Bruin, but it's all good. We're both California natives. So this is going to be this is going to be fantastic. Um, This is off topic. But okay, the matchmaking, like how are you guys, how are you matching people together? I guess the long story made short, if possible.
0: I think everyone wants wants to to know. So when I worked at eHarmony, basically um, what we did was use the algorithm, um, which eHarmony has developed around 29 different dimensions of compatibility. So if any you know, single users out there have used the app, you know there's a very long quote-unquote assessment where you answer questions on a scale of what's important to you and what's not. And those are all based around the algorithm. So some of these dimensions include um, emotional maturity, the commitment to spirituality, your financial background how your parents fought and what you saw at home. So there are things that might not be as intuitive, but what the research has shown really connects people. So what I would do is kind of come in, coach clients that wanted to just you work with this individual. Um, And we were a team of therapists there that basically helped use the algorithm to interview all that could be a good fit and then connect them with their ideal partners that already were compatible based on the science. So it's kind of that combination of the art and the science.
1: I love that. That makes so much sense. I'm also highly curious about how people are rated as emotionally mature. I want to <laughs> run that on a few on a few people that I know. <laughs> yeah. And then you, and then you were dating online. I and I met Jason online as well, so I know we are like kind of pro, um, yes. <laughs> wholesome online dating as another resource. Um, and that's a whole other conversation. But we are proof that it can work, and it's exactly. not all negative.
0: Yeah, exactly. You, know, you could you could use what tools are available, and I always say it's not the only way to meet someone, but you want to use any uh, any possible way to stay open yeah. to love. You know. Yeah, a lot. And
1: I think it, they did a survey, it was something like 50% Americans or or higher, um, maybe it was higher, uh, found that the relationships that they met online were just as meaningful as the ones that they met in person. And I definitely can attest to that. I mean, I don't even feel like we met online, even yeah. though we did. You're like, wait, we did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways that we can see what's important to us and values can really drive um, dating mm-hmm. online versus if you met someone just out in out in the wild, quote unquote, like I like to say, um, you yeah. know, a lot of things that are important to you and you rely only on chemistry, which we know from research is really important to yeah. compatibility, but it's not all you need the chemistry, but that's not all you need, <laughs> you know, so. Right. We need to have yes. a whole other conversation on <laughs>
1: exactly. dating. So we're going <laughs> to save that. But I yeah. had to ask the questions that I know the people are wondering. Yeah. So <laughs> Today we're talking about attachment styles. And this is something that's always been really interesting to me. Um, But for those who aren't familiar with the term attachment styles, or have kind of heard of it, but don't really fully know what it is, could you explain to us a little bit about attachment styles and what they are? Sure.
0: So basically the short long story short of it is that um, a researcher named Mary Ainsworth um, did this study around kids, toddlers, two-year-olds around um, their connection and attachment, quote unquote, to their caregiver or their parent. So the theory is that um, what's really important in their emotional development is how they connect with their caregiver, how they, quote unquote, um, how she put it, feel um, that their parent is a secure base, a place that they can go and play, but that they can turn back and say, oh, mom is still there. And how specifically that study, you could probably YouTube it and see, um, you know, kind of how it's been played out. But specifically in that study, it looked at how if a a caregiver left, what the emotional regulation of a child was, um, you know, do they freak out until the parent came back. Did they say, oh, okay, my parent, you know, we'll come back and I'm okay. Did they completely avoid the parent and kind of get stonewall and get upset at the parent? So basically the the this study was replicated again um, by Bowlby just like a few researchers. And then um, a few people basically took that research and said, this ch- you know childhood attachment is also relevant for adults. And so they saw that the type of attachment you developed as a child could um, continue on into your adult relationships, so not just for a caregiver, but also you know in your romantic relationships and relationships with those you know core people. So um, basically, there's four types of attachment that were um, developed in that time, and they've been boiled down more to three types of attachment in like modern day um, research. And I can you know share a book that I share with all my clients, which is Attached by Amir Levine. Yeah, of course. Um, right. Like if you're if you're listening. I have it right (laughs) here next to me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, basically, what we found is that there's these three types of attachment in adulthood that um, you could veer a little bit more towards. And what I would like to say, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, is it's not a um, it's not a hard and fast thing. It's not unchangeable. You can work through types of attachment, and I really believe that. We heal in the context of relationships. So, if you mm-hmm. are become more securely attached, your partner that might be a different type of att- attachment might also be more secure. So, the three main types now in adulthood are secure attachment, anxious attachment, and avoidant. And so, um, you know, there's different um, types of things that you'll see present in those relationships with the different attachment types. That's kind of a brief summary, <laughs> as brief as I can get it. <laughs>
1: Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health so what happens is when you sign up you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less and you can securely message your counselor anytime any day you know day or night and get replies within 24 to 48 hours BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the faith and mental wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, that was that was a great overview. So, I really want to go into each of the attachment styles. So, what are some of the common traits or responses of someone who has an anxious attachment style?
0: Yeah. So, an anxious attachment style and as we're talking about this, I'm sure the next romantic comedy you watch will be like that's an anxious attachment, that's avoided. <laughs> Yeah, But in anxious attachment style, really what the traits that kind of carried on from childhood is that insecurity of knowing that your partner or your caregiver is going to be there for you. So the ways that this kind of manifests oftentimes I know in like dating or relationships is this fear that if you're not getting that validation, if you're not getting the text back, if you're not getting the approval from your partner, then you're really dysregulated. Your anxiety's out the roof. You don't know where they are. You're freaking out a lot lot of these traits come to play because you're afraid of abandonment. Basically at the core of anxious attachment is that there's this fear of abandonment that if we don't, you know, we can't take a seat um, here and touch our partner's commitment that someone's there for us, then we don't think it's there. So in childhood, what we saw was that this kid, if the parent left, they would be completely dysregulated. They'd be crying. Even when the parent came back, they still would not be soothed because they were just so overtaken from that abandonment. So we see this play out a lot in relationships. Stereotypically, although I don't play into these stereotypes, often a woman can be a little bit more uh, anxiously attached um, than males. I think there's a lot of societal norms that have played into that. But um, so those are some things you might think if you feel that anxiety, when you're not sure how your partner feels about you, if they're mad at you, um, if they're interested, if you're dating, these are some signs of that. And that feeling that, oh no, if I, if I'm going to be abandoned or, you know, what have you, then I'm going to be really dysregulated and not able to soothe myself and work through that.
1: Yeah, I think it's really great that you pointed out that even the severity of that because it's like, I think we all get a little like, okay, they haven't texted back. What's going on? Like we do get a little (laughs) bit of that, right? But I think for the most part, you can kind of self-soothe that or move on to something else. But with the anxious attachment style, it's just kind of overtaking you. It is completely dysregulating you. There is an extreme fear of that abandonment or maybe assuming the worst, of that relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's good to be aware of it. And it's really interesting because as we talk about these, you almost feel like, or I do, like I've kind of moved through all of these
0: at different times. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's really important. It's fluid and on a spectrum. You know, some people yeah. look at anxious attachment looks one way and sometimes it looks another way. And specifically, you know, I teach in uh, my clients around dating and how to notice signs of attachment and dating. And one thing around anxious attachment is that you, c- you kind of don't notice it in the beginning of relationship because there's this eagerness to please. You want to be what your partner desires and it might come out a little bit later in the relationship, but you might be someone who is trying to fit what you think a person wants you to be um, early on in the relationship that people pleasing comes into play because you're afraid that they won't like you or there's that abandonment.
1: Yeah. There's like that performance piece Mm -hmm. of making sure you do all the things so that they don't leave you.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, Yeah. Okay. So now, the next is dismissive or avoidant dismissive attachment style. What does that kind of look like? That's the one that is my tendency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have moved to secure attachment more so these days, but that was my tendency. So um, I'd love for you to share more about the avoidant dismissive style. Yeah, for sure. So
0: this um, type of person is relies really heavily on that independence, that feeling that I don't need anybody. I don't need that connection. They can kind of swing the other way, and anxious attached person, anxiously attached person really needs that connection. If they don't have it, there's something wrong. If someone's avoidantly attached, they feel like, oh, they don't even open up that possibility. And underneath, there's also that fear of getting hurt. Um, In some ways, it's expressed differently, but ultimately someone who's avoidantly attached, maybe they're not as comfortable expressing their feelings or connecting with their feelings. Um, Sometimes in communication, this comes up a lot, um, you know, in dating (laughs) that, you know, there's someone who might ghost or they might not really be able to express why a relationship ended or be in touch with that Um, and so there tend to be some of that feeling like okay we can't really talk about it Um, I need to just kind of separate and self-soothe if I'm in an argument with my uh, partner and then um, this also plays into what we know around like couples work and some of the research that I did is that this can be someone who is the dismissive person. Um, there's like the distancer. There's that dynamic that one person pursues, tries to get the attention. Are you there for me? Are you there for me? Like uh, Dr. Sue Johnson talks about in her work. Um, and then the avoiding person just distance. So they kind of run away with the conflict. Uh, there might be similar fears that they're not enough for the person or that if they, you know, can't meet the needs, then, you know, the partner will we'll leave them also, but it's just expressed in different ways
1: totally. There's like also those walls that go up. It's like the moment that you see something slight, it's easy to put a wall up and be like, Oh no, I'm going to protect myself. And you know, I would, it's interesting because I would say I had a secure attachment as a child, but then I went through things in my teenage years um, where I just was environments where I wasn't protected in the way that I should have been. And Mm -hmm. then became a single mom and what have you, right. Where I kind of had to figure things out. And then I noticed I was moving toward that avoidant dismissive attachment Style um, to where I was just like having to figure out things on my own that mm-hmm. extreme independence. And it's funny that you mentioned ghosting because when Jason and I first started dating, he thought I was going to ghost him <laughs>
0: <laughs> on our first date. He like,
1: yeah. Yeah. He texted me and he was like, I haven't heard from you. Are we still on for a date? I'm like, oh, yeah. Sorry. I've just been busy with school and <laughs> that. But, um, you know, and for those in, you know, for the, as far as a faith based side, avoidant dismissive I've learned can look like well I'm just gonna you know uh, be single and be with Jesus you know and it's like it sounds spiritual but really
0: yes. you're being avoidant dismissive you know yeah. out of the fear. Yeah, yeah. So totally, yeah. And something I bring I bring up to single people all the time is that there's this typically um, manifests itself in with an avoidant person, everything is a red flag. So anything right. that like you said that one thing that you hear, it's a red flag. I'm out. and with an anxiously attached person, it's like nothing is a red flag. Nothing so no, like love me <laughs> like love you, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah so yeah exactly so yeah and that's it. i love what you um that moment of self-reflection and that seeing how things have evolved um as well that's really important to keep keep an eye on and i see a lot of you know people hurt in dating and past relationships that end up getting, becoming avoidant because they've been hurt so much or disappointed so much, or, you know, and um, I love that faith-based perspective too, because I think that many times this attachment shows up in our relationship with God as well. And that when we've been really hurt or we feel like God's let us down or whatever, there's tends to be a similar avoidance or feeling like, okay, I can't really connect or share how I'm feeling. Um, And so we can see these patterns play out in different ways. I'm like, that needs to be the next book, Attachment Styles with God. (laughs)
1: That's a good one. Yes, it's so true. Like how that even plays out in our relationship with God and our faith. Are we avoidant dismissive with him? Are we anxious? Are we Mm -hmm. all of that interesting? So uh, (laughs) yeah, that one's for you. I'll let you take that one and put me in the mentions now. Um, So, okay. So now we have, we are moving toward the secure attachment style, which is, you know, again, like you said, it's fluid depending on the context and the situation. I've kind of moved through all these throughout my life. And I'm finding myself at a more secure place, but there are a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of healing involved. And I think, and obviously my relationship with Jason now, like you said, has helped a lot. Being with a secure person, that helps. (laughs) And I'm sure we could talk more about that too. Um, So secure attachment.
0: Yeah, for sure. So secu- someone who's securely attached and this is, you know, this is uh, around 50 percent of the population is securely attached. So we might think, oh, it's not as not the norm, but it really is. The majority of people are securely attached and then the rest of um, people kind of fall on one category category or the other, but I think what's really important to keep in mind with secure attachment is that there's this balance, um, ability to self-soothe, belief in the best in people, um, belief that someone will connect with me or that kind of belief that the connection is there and available for me. But if I don't have it, then it's okay. Like I'll find that in myself as well. Um, So in relationships, this looks like the ability, just that authenticity to uh, connect with feelings and express them, but not in a way that um, sometimes someone who's anxiously attached can overly express the emotions or feel like they need to like get a lot of that validation externally. Um, So someone who's securely attached feels like they want to connect, they can do that in a way that's not blocked. Um, from some you know, past trauma or from fear that someone's not gonna be right there from them, but they can also have that boundary. So they're really comfortable with boundaries. Um, they have, you know, what we saw in the research um, in childhood is that you know, if a parent leaves and they feel like when they come back, they're happy to see them. They didn't feel abandoned or um, you know, threatened in any way. So there's that kind of clarity that comes with someone who's securely attached. The biggest way that I see this come up is in communication and being able to communicate how you're feeling, um, and, but not needing someone else to validate your <laughs> feelings as well. So it's kind of that balance. Um, and I think that especially with people who are securely attached in relationships, there's a sense of peace and relaxation um, in dating. I say this a lot, like, it's like, oh, I had a great time. I getting to get into them. I didn't need to know if they're going to be my husband <laughs> on the first date. Um, and I wasn't like, you know, so scared of some red flag. that I was like, I need to run the other direction. Um, so it's exploring the opportunities and feeling secure that you have that base to go back to basically in yourself, that you kind of built that in yourself and that someone else's relationship can help um, like kind of emphasize that as well help. Well.
1: Yeah, that is a night and day experience, (laughs) just speaking personally, um, Mm -hmm. to have that secure attachment. And um, something that I I wanted to bring up, thank you so much for laying all three of those bases out. Something that I am hearing over and over again as you're explaining this are these roots of core beliefs and um, how those core beliefs are um, affecting the attachment style and how the person is translating the other person, the relationship, the world around them. So for the anxious attachment style, there's this core belief of, I am bound to be abandoned, or I am maybe unlovable, or I can easily be left, right? And so then it manifests as this maybe, I, don't, I hate to use the word clingy, um, but yeah, like this over clinginess um, and fear. It's mm-hmm. fear driven. And then on the flip side with a dismissive attachment, it's this idea of, you know, People are maybe bound to leave or make mistakes or hurt me, and therefore, I need to protect myself. You know, I need mm-hmm. to look out for myself, and I need to be on guard um, so that I don't experience any pain. And then versus the secure attachment, which is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to be okay whether or not these happen. this happens. I can self-regulate. I'm going to believe and shoot for the best for this, you know, and believe that no matter what happens, at the end of the day, I'll be fine. Um, And I believe I'm worthy of that love and support and care so I can receive it. And so there are these core beliefs that I'm hearing that underlie all of these. um, And that, like you said, like we were saying, goes all the way back to childhood, according to the attachment theory of maybe the messages that we internalize based on the events that happened to us growing up, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting. And I think it's great because core beliefs are things that we can work on.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I love the way that you express that. And I think, especially in terms of thinking about attachment, the core beliefs you want to think about are your beliefs around intimacy and independence. So someone who's securely attached is comfortable with both intimacy and independence. Someone anxiously attached not comfortable with independence, very comfortable, overly comfortable with intimacy and someone who's avoidant, very comfortable with independence, not as comfortable with intimacy. So getting to that kind of middle ground then has to, you have to kind of rewrite that narrative around those beliefs um, and notice. And what's interesting often when I've done, you know, family work in the past, um, especially with certain, um, you know, family types, it's not necessarily that you had, you know, a very traumatic childhood or anything right. like that. Oftentimes, people are anxiously attached when they had parents that loved them too much, or that the kind of like overly helicopter parents. Out. Exactly, the helicopter <laughs> parent. Um, and then with avoidant, you know, some parents were very successful, very connected, but it was just the way that that you know um, person evolved into what how they experienced those things in the world. So I think that's important, really, to release some of that shame or blaming or like, oh, this right. is why I <laughs> why I ended up this right. way, um, and more just lean into, okay, there's no like wrong or right. It's just learning how I can balance those beliefs and come to a place that's more, that's healthier for me.
1: Yeah, it's knowing these attachment styles I think is really helpful with the self-awareness to go, okay, this is my tendency. Now knowing this is my tendency, where is the fear coming from and what are healthier ways I can reframe the situation or respond to the situation knowing that this is my tendency? uh, I think it's really, really helpful. Um, So have you ever taken an attachment style quiz or anything like that? I always take these (laughs) quizzes. Mine was like, yeah. And I noticed my attachment style differed with each relationship.
0: Mm, yeah. Something uh-huh.
1: else I want to talk about
0: in a second, but did you, totally. have you taken one? Yeah. Yeah. I've taken one. I've taken one multiple times. Um, I'm I'm securely attached, but I definitely tend towards anxious. And in certain relationships, like I will talk about, I was way more anxious than yeah. not. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how you how you mentioned that that it really changes in relation to who you're mm-hmm. with. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to bring up
1: because some of these were like you can internalize right oh my gosh something's wrong with me but then the flip side of that is that part of that can depend on who you're with and what they're bringing out and you did mention like you know i believe that we can heal through relationships i believe that too i've seen it when you have a healthy example it helps you reframe your prior examples and regulate (laughs) better um but on the flip side it can also disrupt you um, if it's a not a healthy one and a toxic one so I guess bringing awareness to the fact that some of these are not just something intrinsic, but something that someone else is bringing out. And uh, like if they're not communicating or are they, if they are doing things that are sketchy and you know, or whatever it is, that's bringing out those styles or bringing that out even more is also something comprehensive to be looking at.
0: Totally, yeah. I think that that's so important. And um, something that I always tell People at the beginning um, stages of dating is that it's really important to look at someone's communication style as an indicator of what their tendency around attachment can be. And if that's a match for you, like I said, there's no, you know, wrong or right. Obviously, we have ideals around being securely attached, but there's no judgment. It's more about like what's a fit for you. So, um, something that I often say and I teach in my dating blueprint is that if you're anxious, any match can be good, basically, besides the anxious avoidant match. (laughs) Like if you're both secure, great. If they're secure, anxious, great. Secure, avoidant, great. There's all room for that. But if someone's very anxious and very avoidant, that's, those are the types of relationships we see that like really don't disaster. Yeah. Sounds (laughs) like a disaster. Exactly. And then unfortunately, subconsciously, we're often looking to heal some of those wounds through someone who is that opposite of us. So Um, but this is why we have the stereotype of, you know, the girl liking the bad boy and those sorts of things, because they're seeking that validation. And if I can get it from someone who doesn't want to give it to me, then I can feel this way or that way when that's a really bad way of thinking. So, um, so we have to really keep that in mind and notice those signs early on, like the Maya Angelou quote, you know, when someone tells you who they are, believe them the first time, you know, if they're not texting you back, if they're not able to, you know, whatever, then kind of getting that hint and you know seeing um how you can grow towards security without their approval but also you know once you can get a sense of who somebody is if that's not going to be a fit like moving forward
1: yeah, yeah, and and on that note, I would love to talk really briefly about how people can heal through relationships, um, because you do hear things like you know you have to be fully healed before you get into a relationship, and the truth is that we're always going to be working on ourselves. And I do think that you can enter certain relationships from a healthier place. I'm right. a witness of that. I me and yeah. Jason always joke like if you would have met me five years earlier, you would be dating a completely different person, <laughs> right? Um, right? After I went through these things and did the work, and so we were able to enter more securely. But, yeah, I I would love it if you could uh, share about that because the other side is that you are not needy for wanting a healthy and secure attachment and uh, wanting that love and belonging, which is a basic human need. Um, And I wanted to share about the dependency paradox, but before I do that, I would love to hear more about your thoughts on healing through relationships as we're growing through maybe these – Attachment style tendencies that we've had.
0: Totally. So I would say the first step um, is in providing yourself some of that awareness. Um, that self compassion often this you know can take place in in therapies or on a mental health um, you know uh, podcast, but I think having that process where you can really release any judgment of how you 've operated in relationships, how you 've come to be the way that you are is really the starting point in my book and then from that point, I would really do things that um, you know can build some of that self esteem and some of that courage around that and one of the ways that I always say this in um for romantic relationships is practicing in friendships like connecting with people that are securely attached having that practice in your close friendships of vulnerability because you can have as many friends as possible. There isn't always that fear of abandonment that comes with romantic relationships. So practicing that with those safe people as friends can really help you um, when it comes to that romantic relationship and more of that kind of dependency. Um, And I would say, especially for people that are single or in relationships, that having those little moments of trust building, both with yourself of like, maybe you did get disappointed on a dating app, um, but you were able to kind of bounce back and have a plan for the discouragement, then it really uh, communicates to your brain that you can handle when someone isn't providing you the type of connection you want. And same with relationships, having that little, you know, commenting on one little moment, one thing you noticed from your partner, one feeling that you had, and then get, um, receiving that rather than waiting until You know, there's a huge blow up fight and you're not going to get attuned to um, can be really important So really breaking it down and giving yourself those positive experiences so you can rewire your brain to say, you know, actually, I can move through this, I can feel that um, connection and have those positive beliefs reframed around intimacy.
1: Yeah, that is so practical. So I really, really appreciate you saying that and also making note that um, these can show up in other relationships as well. You know, it can also show up in friendships. It can also show up with, with loved ones. You know, I know, for example, with something like say, BPD, borderline personality, there is an extreme of a fear of abandonment, Mm -hmm. you know, and that can be with kind of anyone. And so, um, yeah, just taking note of how we respond to things or what core fears are driving us in all these relationships. And that being said, I wanted to share something about the dependency paradox real quick from the attached book that you mentioned. um, And the fact that (laughs) Healthy and secure relationships do help regulate us and you know this idea of co-regulation that when we are in safe when we are around safe and warm people who often through communication help us feel secure um, it can help us regulate and some studies were done that showed that literally biologically it can help us regulate there was a study done at um, I think it was at Carnegie Carnegie. <laughs> I like can't spell. Mm-hmm. And they found that the that our partner can help regulate our blood pressure, our heart rate, our breathing, and the levels of our hormones. And that when two people from an, uh, an intimate relationship, they regulate each other's psychological and emotional well-being and their physical proximity and availability helps regulate the stress response. And there's so many studies done on this where like they give them kind of like like, you know, little pain shocks or something, and they measure their brain activity in the in the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And they notice that when they're holding, you know, their partner's hand, that the amygdala is a little bit less responsive, showing that that warmth and security of the partner helped regulate those fear emotions versus when they hold a stranger's hand or just like a squeeze ball. And so there are all these cool studies that have been done that do show that having a secure relationship helps us regulate and can help us heal and also it's a big part of helping us face outward toward the world to do what we are called to do Um, that the more we feel supported and secure with our partners it kind of um, helps us move outward into the world going back to that attachment style like you said with the parent like once they know the parent's always going to be there and it's secure they can kind of play and not worry about it too much knowing that they're going to come back and it's the adult version of that
0: yeah, I love that you said that too. And I think that, you know, I get asked very frequently in um, couples therapy, like, what can I do? My partner's like this, you know, that sort of thing. And that study just shows that if you work on yourself and work to be securely attached, that then in turn can help your partner, you know, connect with you. So I think that that is really empowering with people that sometimes feel helpless in quote unquote, changing the other person where you can really hold that power in how you connect with other people too.
1: Yes, that thank you for putting that together so well. Like you can, when you're regulated, you can help them regulate, you co-regulate, make a practice of it, boom, you're moving towards secure attachment. That and, you know, therapy, all the things. So thank you so much for talking about attachment styles with us. I know everybody's gonna like go look up, okay, what is my attachment style? Now there are quizzes out there. I actually recommend checking them out. um, It's really interesting. Like you said, it's not, destiny like just because you're showing this doesn't mean you're always going to be in that attachment style or you're always going to be that way um certain circumstances and certain people can bring them out and we can move toward a secure style so any last thoughts or words of encouragement for those who are listening and are wanting to move
0: toward more
1: secure attachment styles or hearing this and want to work on themselves
0: yeah i would just say that even just listening to this conversation is a step towards kind of moving towards where, where you want to be in relationships and that level of awareness work on yourself you can only kind of go i really firmly believe that you can only take your partner or you know with in our work with your clients or um, patients as far as you've gone yourself so if you're seeking that deep connection and that alignment and attunement, then really attuning with yourself and connecting and not disconnecting from yourself is the start of that. So, um, and I know it's really difficult in today's day and age because we have so many distractions, but that connection to yourself then breeds all your other connections, you know, your vertical connection with God and all the horizontal ones. So I would say doing that work is, is going to be a lot more valuable, um, for your relationships than you might think.
1: Totally. And if you're single now and you're listening to this, just know that. I know when I was single, it was like, okay, the work I'm doing now is really going to benefit my future relationship, even though I didn't know whether or not I was going to be in a relationship. I was like, I just know that not only is it helping me, but it's preparing me for the type of relationship I want to be in and the type of person I want to be in that relationship, which is maybe more securely attached and all that than I was before. And so just know that working toward that um, is totally beneficial and uh, fruitful, no matter how things turn
0: out. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So where can those who are listening stay connected to you and follow the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah. So you can check out my website, therapyfordating.com. Um, if you're single, I have a free guide for which dating app might be right for you. Um, and then you can also connect with me on Instagram at the date, Dr. Christy in uh, my program, find the one I teach around discovering your dating blueprint and, um, a huge component of that. Is attachment um, and how you discover that. So I do that work with my clients as well. So if this is, um, you know, an interesting topic for you that you'd like to explore further, you can um, connect with me.
1: Yes, definitely check her out. She has a ton of stuff and um, I just, I love following you. I love everything that you post. And even though you <laughs> talk about dating stuff, obviously all this stuff plays out, whether you're married or single or in a relationship, all these core things still play a role. Um, as long as you're yeah, having relationships, exactly. interpersonal relationships, these things are happening. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you totally. so much for your time and thank you guys for tuning in until next time.